Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time about. for Mortgage Matter. All right. Good morning, everybody. Well, whoa, that was an abrupt finish yeah, there, Jim. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we have to have John fix that because um, it's a little. Yeah, it doesn't right. It doesn't like fade out. It doesn't huh? fade Just out. Yeah, hard stop. I'll get John to fade that a little more. Interesting. Mm. Anyway. I like it though. Well, evidently, intro, yeah. Evidently, it was the original intro was recorded over at the old studios, right? Just we know this based on time. Yeah, and he doesn't have access to that anymore, yeah. and so he had to do some ninja editing. He Let called me it see to... whether or not I can help him with that. Cool, that'd be great. I'll check into that this week. I was assuming you like missed the fader. You no, didn't. the fader, it just, it fades quickly, <laughs> but it, it, it sounds good. Other than it, it just needs yeah. a little, just it's tad fresh, more music huh? at the end. Yeah. It's fresh. Yeah, it's fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And uh, the Donald Trump there and who was the second guy? There was another guy in there, Donald. And then, um, yeah, I can't think of, uh, Oh, it was a clip that I pulled off of, um, uh, I think it was just someone in one of the congressional meetings talking about Fanny. Uh, oh, about them being in conservatorship. Yeah, that was the yeah. And then you know you recognize. You can check it out again. Introducing yeah, Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated <laughs> to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008. Who's and that guy? to dominate the mortgage no market. The mortgage now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon like to help it. clean up Wall Street's you know mess. I think it was. Broadcasting live from the KVEC studio. I pulled that. I pulled that from a um, one of Janet Yellen's testimonies. Oh, okay. And that was a setup where they were basically asking her um, about environment, or economic policy, and and what might happen. And so, as sort of a, a build up to that uh-huh. question, he was reminding yeah. her that you know Fannie uh-huh. Mae and Freddie Mac are still in conservatorship. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I it was it was one of the senators or congressmen that wasn't. I have to admit, I was really scared this morning because I put it in on Thursday, and very similar titles for you and the mortgage and the Muttermouth show. Oh, it's like I hope I didn't overload it there, open mm-hmm. her over the Muttermouth. Oh, but they're still fired. So you were <laughs> they're good. fired. I'm like, yeah, Got good, <laughs> awesome, so, yeah. But um, anyway. There it is. I think it sounds really good. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. We we were trying to get that fixed for a bit. The last one just started to get a little bit stale because it, it sort of suggested still. talking about still, how downbeat everything was. Yeah. And, and that's not It's current. pretty hard to make that argument today. <clears throat> yeah. 
maybe it's we'll maybe we'll be able to dust that off on the next cycle. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, there it is. I don't know when that's coming. Yeah. Let's not throw it away. We'll just shelve it for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was talking. Oh, I was going to say that the funny thing about the Donald clip in there. Yeah. I really wanted at the end of the clip. I wanted it to be like you know, this is mortgage matters, and then just have the Donald's voice go, it's going to be huge. huge but you huge. can't Have really the find, huge fade out. You can't really find that clip very well, but what you can find is a million people like um, uh, satirically I you can know, find, copying him. I can find Donald clips saying, uh, Donald well, Trump saying huge. There's one, I'll play it coming back from a break. There's here. one where he just says, they just <laughs> like cut together huge, you know, 25 different yeah, yeah. Just clip it out of things he said and then yeah, run. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And then at the same time, too, I thought maybe that wouldn't send the right message. Yeah. But so he says. Well, this show is going to be huge. He says, <laughs> he says in that little clip that now's the time to make money on real estate. Okay. That clip was from so long ago. (laughs) It wasn't right now. (laughs) Not that it's not the right time, but you know, the guy's a real estate mogul, right? We were laughing. What you remember back 07, 08, 09, 2010, 11? It's always been the right time to buy real estate. (laughs) Nobody has a crystal ball, I know, but it's the right time. How's the week this week, Dan? It's good. Very busy. Very busy. Very busy. Yeah, I I felt incredibly busy this week, and uh, I I love being busy. I, you're not going to ever hear me complain about being busy, but I was busy with the wrong kind of things this week. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I was busy with like the busy work kind of busy. Mm-hmm. I like to be busy with the the things that once you accomplish everything, you're just really happy that you are busy and we're productive. Instead, I felt busy and just that tedious kind of keep all the little things together. The stuff you put off for when you have time to do it and then you have to catch up on it. Busy work stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess I had, I guess I had just delegated everything that I could delegate. And so I was out of any ability to delegate further. And so it was time to do the little busy work stuff, but. It was a fun week, though. It was a good week. Um, and this is, Dan, you you kind of brought this up last week as we were anticipating the Fed meeting. Um, basically, what ends up happening is we had the buildup for a couple weeks leading into the Fed meeting, and then rates kind of declined a little bit again. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern I've come to come to get used to here it's there's just always some level of uncertainty no matter how how much we believe that there will or will not be a rate hike at a fed meeting there's always that bit of uncertainty i mean it could be more than a quarter of a point rate hike it could be a half could be three quarters could be a point you never know they could not hike and so all of those uncertainties play into the buildup as you say and so i think there was some some thoughts out there that it could be more than a quarter of a point, that they could talk about um, the pace of future increases happening a little faster than than originally predicted. Um, so 
So at the end of there the day, what more. do you what do you attribute it to mostly? The buildup, the or the ensuing the fact that we kind decline. of overshot it. Yeah, I think I think it was the possible. I I think the what the market was hedging against was the possibility of the Fed suggesting that rate hikes would come faster. Um, but what we learned was that really the language didn't change much at all, and they left their Fed funds target rate the same, which for year-end is at 1.4%, indicating that there will be two more rate hikes, two more quarter-point rate hikes this year. Yeah, that, That'll put us in the one and a quarter to one and a half range, which is kind of weird still that we're in this range. The range only occurred when we went down to zero. Prior to that, it was... It was a number. It was a quarter point. It was a half point. It was one point. It was whatever. Now we're in this quarter point range all the time, and I'm wondering when we're going to get away from the range. But yeah, I, I think two more rate hikes is kind of what they've, how they've set it up, and that was what we thought when the year started. So there's no change really to what we've what we've been thinking. Don't you feel like the range is um, the range is one of these things that you use to soften bad news? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, I see it in more things than than just this, you know. It's kind of like when you go to the mechanic. It's like, yeah, you know, you you blew out whatever it is, right? You, you need a new, you need to get new uh, head gasket, and it's going to be uh, nine to twelve hundred bucks. <laughs> well, is it nine hundred or twelve hundred? <laughs> it's it's twelve hundred bucks. You know it is. It's twelve hundred bucks. This guy just when if you just first said. It's gonna be twelve hundred bucks. You'd go, oh my god! But it's like nine to twelve hundred. You're like, well, let's hope for the nine hundred. Like immediately, it's like a distraction tactic, right? <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of the psychology to that right now too. Is it's it did so? Did we just raise rates, the overnight rate to one point, or is it three quarters? Because that's a whole number, <laughs> right? Well, now you can wonder. It's a three quarters for some, one for others. Yeah, who gets the three quarter point rate? Do you have to have a coupon or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> frequent flyer program? Really, you got to be borrowing overnight a lot. Um, so yeah, ne the next one though, I suspect, is the one where they give it up completely and they say that the you know the Fed funds rate is at one and a quarter. We'll this see. is the one where just easing you into having a whole digit there, guys. We have. We have an integer now for interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't help but think that the expectations were a little overdone. And from what I saw and, and kind of gathered, it sounded like the market starts anticipating a little bit of worst case scenario. Worst case scenario really would have been that they say, you know what? You guys should probably expect at least a quarter point at every meeting. That we're, you know, on a predetermined path. We have an end goal in mind and that you should expect this is going to continue through most likely 2020 or something like this, you know. And that would be like, okay, get ready now. These, you know, interest rates now are fleeting and you just have to know it. And instead what was said was we're, I mean, they basically said the opposite, I think, to calm some of that fear and basically said we're not on a predetermined course. We don't have this all laid out. And at the end of the sentiment, it comes off like um, I think most people kind of agreed, like we said last week, is a 
It's just a good opportunity to raise rates right now, the just a smidge because things were going okay, and then remind everybody else that, hey, we still got a lot of time this year in front of us. We're not on a predetermined course. And by the time all the dust settles, you know, we're back to believing that we're likely to see three rate hikes this year. Um, and by the way, three rate hikes this year, we're coming off of a season where we've had a 0% interest for however many years. I mean, what is it? Darn near a decade. Yeah. <laughs> so now three rate hikes of a quarter point apiece is going to is going to put us, you know, approaching 2% in that um that fed funds rate. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with that, you know. I mean, you mentioned it the other day is that there's there's companies that rely heavy on line of credit. Um and we learned this during the TARP bailout. Uh, I don't remember learning a lot about, see, you don't learn a lot about business in high school. You know, they don't tell you too much about the economics of business and um, how all these things work. But when uh, we all kind of got a little bit of a crash course on this, when um, when this major recession hit and people started describing these cr- the frozen credit markets, um, that was something that needed definition for me because it's like, well, if you have money to lend and you have money to borrow, what's the problem? You know, what do we need to thaw out? Um, well, part of it was because of rates. Part of it was because the standards got too high to borrow. Part of it was because folks weren't able to borrow. Regulation. Um, yeah, regulation, you know, coming down. and But then also just if you're... If your business is on faulty ground, like if people are wondering whether or not you're going to make it, that's not exactly the time you want to be loaning that entity money. You know, you want to see stable to increasing revenues and reserves and things like this. So we found ourselves in that spot. And one of the things we learned was that a lot of these businesses use credit for um, just day-to-day operation and not necessarily because they have to, but because it makes business run smoother. Think about these huge companies, you know, like General Motors. Um, they put, oftentimes, will put payroll on credit. Uh, they do things like they have lines with all of the car manufacturers and the car sellers and all these different people that are all based on credit terms because it smooths out the the you know inflow outflow of the company and allows them to just function a little bit um, easier. And and so those. When the rates get too high, it impedes that business model. Um, you know, I think a lot of companies today have probably gotten to the position where they're decoupling a little bit from relying so much on credit, and just households have too. But when you look at this stuff, you got to know that when the Fed's hikes rates like this, the takeaway for us was that mortgage rates went down a little bit, and it was in part because. They were over overdone. We kind of overshot the expectation, got a little bit too freaked out with the anticipation of the meeting. Then we got the information from the meeting digested, and we, we gave up some of that, the overshooting that occurred, right? But then immediately, I mean, we got, we use a couple of credit facilities in our company. It didn't take them, but later that same day to, to announce that the rate on, on our credit line had gone up due to the change in the Fed policy. So you got to imagine that companies that are in the business of manufacturing or production or doing things like those auto companies that are using big lines of credit for even things like payroll, everything just got a little bit more expensive with that move. So, of course, we'll keep watching and keep hoping that the economy, you know, keeps growing and getting better. Um, 
I started reading articles this week too about um, who's. Is that me? I Is believe me? that's you. I'm Sorry. on mute. Yeah. It's right above the six. Mine's done. You know, you hop to a website and then it decides it's just <laughs> going to play something for you. Yeah. So, anyway, interest rates kind of eased up a little bit. Everything's still going on. We're, we're looking forward. Um, I saw in related news, though, this last week, there was a lot of um, other countries that were looking at their monetary policy and making decisions. And just as a little um, kind of mention to where it went, Bank of Japan announced that their interest rate was unchanged. Swiss National Bank also this week left their rate unchanged. Hong Kong raised their rate. People's Bank of China likewise raised rate. Um, and I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't quite figure out enough about the those economies to know. Do they raise theirs just because we did? You know, there's got to be some pressure on you, right? To to want to to stay kind of tit for tat so that you don't fall out of range. Um, anyway, uh, Norgie's bank didn't raise their rate, had dovish remark. Bank of England left their rate unchanged. And then check this out. The commentary now, I couldn't, this, this one um, kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. Through the results, we're reminded that the jobs and inflation picture in various parts of the world vary. Jobs and inflation? That's kind of a, I mean, it was always jobs and housing around here. We switched housing out. Housing's good now, huh? Yeah. yeah we Take that out. Now it's just while. jobs and inflation. <clears throat> Remember when it was jobs and housing, housing and jobs? That yeah. was all, that was all the Fed talked about. They said, I mean, it wasn't until I think QE two ish, in between QE two and QE three, is when we really they started hammering this idea of target inflation, and we started going, okay, we we know now that the Fed's got they've got an employment metric they wanted to hit five percent unemployment rate, and then they wanted to hit um, you know their two percent real inflation target. In the beginning, though, it was like all about we got to restore jobs. We got to take care of the jobs thing. We got to get housing saved. Well, housing's pretty solid now. Um, the jobs market, I mean, there's plenty of folks out there who want to argue about it, but it's pretty good. It's not certainly better than it was. It's it not a million like, dollars of people, a million people a week coming in for unemployment. Uh, but back to our discussion last week, I think there's maybe a little bit of slack still in the jobs market, but getting getting close to that full employment figure below 4 5% on the unemployment number starting to see some wage growth yeah still a little slack not too much though so the you're familiar with first american they they first american i mean i think ultimately under the same roof right but they're like the parent company they got their chief economist mark fleming he starts a, you know, kind of wrote an interesting little piece about the results of the FOMC meeting um, and how it specifically may impact housing. Um, I was asked this question this week too. You know, well, what's going to happen to housing since the Fed raises rates by a quarter? 
uh, just I it, that to me is all it's nearly immeasurable. And it can be quickly um, dismissed, too, when you say, well, actually, the Fed's raised rates uh, and mortgage rates dropped. So um, people have a tough time wrapping their head around that. But the Fed does not set mortgage rates. Um, there's relationships between the overnight rate and the, all of the various indices. Mortgage rates are determined by mortgage-backed securities. Um, there's a There's a... A relationship there, but it's not direct. So that being said, um, I'll I'll cook you down the the concentrated version of this article. Um, basically, what he goes on to say is that um, increasing interest rates aren't going to be the demise of the housing market. It's not going to happen. You don't see the Fed raising rates and then immediately values are going to fall because people's first thought is, well, if there's a if if raise if you raise rates, then you're diminishing affordability, right? So push rates up, you're increasing my borrowing costs, and then at some point you hit this point where, well, we can no longer afford to borrow. Um, so then that is going to trigger the decline of home values, right? Would that's the idea? However. What really happens is when the feds raise rates and then ultimately mortgage rates go up over time, um, one of the things that you're doing is really, really locking in that homeowner that has that good low rate. (laughs) He already owns the house. Great rate, great low payment. Selling the house and buying a new house means that you're going to have to come up to current market. And the the wider that spread gets, the more you're just going to have people stay in put which is only going to cause further problem within that um, inventory problem that we're experiencing right now, right? I mean, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Sure. If you're one of the people that got a three and a quarter, 30-year fixed, and today's prevailing rate is closer to four and a quarter, that's going to be something you're going to consider. You're going to have to have other motivation. And I think oftentimes it can come by way of, a growing family or a job relocation or a divorce or, um, you know, one of the people that I'm helping out right now, they're, I've done loans from in the past and they're just getting a little bit older and starting health problems are starting to trickle in. They're in a two-story house and now they need to get into a, a, a single level home. So there's reasons why people will go, but just the on a whim thing you're, you're going to have to have a, a, a pretty motivating reason to go sign up to just pay extra interest because a whole percent in interest over the life of a loan is like, how often did you refinance somebody? Like for me, I'd talk to somebody that would save a whole point in interest. It's like, dang, man, that's like $10,000 a year in interest. You're so stoked that you came in here right now. You're saving $180,000 over the life of this loan. Oh, my God. It's so much money. Well, same thing when you're talking about why would you go electively sell your home to get a higher interest rate that's a whole percent higher, you're going to have to do that math too. You're going to be paying a lot more. And so anyways, that's just going to continue to keep inventories low on existing homes. Um, we were talking this week about the pace of new construction versus existing homes. And, and just real simply... New construction, we see these annualized figures, 560, 580,000 um, homes a year. And existing home sales? Million, five million, five and a half million. Five and a half million. <laughs> it's significantly more. 
And when you go back and look at like construction boom in my lifetime, the boom was going down in 05. One and a half million. I don't think we're getting back to that time any anytime soon, by the way, where we're going to be just on a tear building homes that fast. Um, so anyway, he then in this article goes on to talk about how um, basically there's, there's a point at which interest rates are going to affect, um, are going to have a meaningful inf- impact on home buyers mentality and basically says that um, what they figured out is that that impact, you'll be able to measure a meaningful impact when the 30-year fixed hits 5.4%. It's not very far away. It's 1.2% roughly higher than it is today, hmm. which is already 1% more than we were, you know, a few years ago. Well, and at the current pace of Fed rate hikes, we're talking sometime next year. Yeah. So sometime next year, interest rates are going to impact housing, is what this person is saying? Well, it's going to cause home buyers enough concern to where they may decline to enter the market. So those first-time home buyers. Uh, but you, know, you remember, though, Dan, what happens when those rates get that way? Oh, then we start seeing adjustable rate mortgages come into favor, and we start to see buy an interest-only loan or the three-two-one buy-down loan. You know, where you have some teaser rate for right. the first couple of years. Oh, the There's, seller, the seller can buy your rate down so yeah. that you're you're you have a fixed-rate loan, but the first year it's three percent less, the second year it's two percent less, and the third year it's one percent less. Basically, the seller prepays the interest. Right. You're going to come up with all these ideas, and you know what? I'm excited about. There's probably going to be some new things we never even thought of before. <laughs> these Maybe. bankers are good at making money. They're we, good at keeping people at the table. We we had an investor. How about this one? We're going to give you negative. We're going to give you <laughs> negative interest for the first two we years. We saw one of our one of our investors was advertising their 40-year loan with a 10-year interest-only feature. Yeah. You know, the rate's not great, but it's there if if that helps. So there's, yeah, you're going to see more creative financing. And a lot of those things that we mentioned, buy-downs or, or um, adjustable rate mortgages, yes, they're a little more risky than a fixed-rate loan, but they've been around forever. They don't, they haven't proven to crash markets all over the world. I mean, all over the world, arms are used in the majority of mortgage financing. So they're good products. They're just, they require a little more financial planning. Right. Is it? So we'll see. I mean... But yeah, that's what happens when. And rates you know, get higher. right now, like you can still do an adjustable rate loan today. Like even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you can do FHA, VA. All of these loans allow for you to do an adjustable rate loan that might be fixed for three or five or seven or ten years before it adjusts. Uh, people haven't been getting those because the spread between the adjustable rate loan and the 30-year fixed is so narrow right now. You wouldn't sacrifice the long-term security. For the minimal savings. But when these rates are at 5.5% for a fixed, that's where you may end up seeing, you know, a 3.5 or so arm. And now a, a, a couple 2% spread between those is that's now you're kind of talking a, a meaningful amount of money. And it's not for everyone. 
on today's adjustable rate loans, you still have to qualify um, at more than the start rate. In fact, if if you're if you can't qualify based on debt to income ratio, if you can't qualify for the fixed rate payment, you're not going to qualify for the adjustable. It's more conservative in qualification. So then it turns into this game of well, there's some people that they can afford kind of whatever they want, and then they elect to get an adjustable rate loan. Sometimes they have the cash to pay it off in its entirety. And what they're looking to do is to to be able to leverage some capital at minimal cost. They're playing a, a savvy investor's game. That's been kind of the majority of the people that I've seen getting arms lately. Um, you know, but that being said, uh, it, I agree. You're going to have to see rates go up quite a bit more before you start to have home buyers say, you know what, I'm better off renting. And one of the problems here is that rents are growing astronomically high. Um, I was talking with a, a gal this week that said they put a house up for rent, overcharging for rent, basically, and and they, and they knew it. Like just, I mean, if you've got, it's a commodity, right? So if you're the one with the rental available, you put it on the market and go, oh, I'm going to shoot for good rent. Probably should be renting this place for twenty five hundred bucks a month. I might be able to hold out and get twenty seven. Let's list it for three thousand and see what happens. Fifty applications on the first day. Wow. How do you even sort through fifty applications? You know, I mean, it's just crazy. It almost makes you think if you're the landlord, take it off the market and then put it back on in two weeks for thirty two hundred and see what you know what I mean? Not that everybody's just motivated by crazy greed like that, but it's one of these things where it's there is a true crisis right now here locally for rental housing and for your if you're in that spot where you're getting forced out of your home, now you need to find a new rental or buy. Both are very difficult. There's a lot, a lot of um, competition in both of those markets. So... Um, you know, how high do rates have to go before somebody puts a house up for sale and nobody's interested in it? Uh, that's a, obviously that's an impossible question to answer because yeah. there's so many things at play there, but, um, it, it's not yet. This fed rate hike didn't do that. It's time to take a commercial break. We're at 36 minutes past the hour. We've got... A lot of show left. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call live in the studio at 543-8830, 543-8830. Ask a question, share a comment. Whatever you do, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960808. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 3283585. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. 
Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Huge, 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 but huge, 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 the huge, huge, that is a huge, got a huge, a huge, huge, I have a huge company, huge, huge, a huge, huge, a huge, huge, I'm always ready. It's not just big, it's huge. Huge. A huge, a huge, a huge, a huge, a huge. Whoa. All right, you can stop that now. <laughs> there you go. I, I think wanted to enjoy it. I wanted I, to remind everybody that if you are in the market for real estate, you can go and look at the. Uh, Central Coast Lending recently became the sponsor of the open house directory on KSBY. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a good place to plan your open house trips this weekend and every weekend. Yeah. There's over, what did, they said they average, KSBY averages like 70 listings per week on that website. That might be a little high. I forgot. I th- I'm going to pull it up right now. I think he said 250. 42 a month. But it also hasn't been advertised very well since they were without a sponsor. So chances are it's going to be able to uh, be more effective pretty quick here as it's getting advertised more. But I'll tell you how many are on there right now. I'm sure you're dying to know. Yeah. I got an email yesterday from a real estate agent said, hey, check out my open house this weekend. I think I was just on a blast. So I was going to follow up with her and go, you should put your house on the KSBY open house directory. It was already on there. I clicked on there to look first so that I didn't sound silly, right? But yeah, it was already on there. There's 47 houses right now on the open house. There we go. Yeah. And you know it's always current because KSBY comes through and wipes it away every Monday. Right. So that... The new fresh open house listings can be listed there. Well, in a listing, even if these guys are having an open house that they're doing today and tomorrow, which sometimes they do, hold a house open for both days, they have to input it one for Saturday and one for Sunday. Mm. So you you can't just put an ad in there and, and let it ride. But then it gets emptied completely. So you know that it's always accurate, especially if you're checking for the first time there on Monday morning. So, yeah, that's exciting. There's lots of open houses. I wonder how many open houses there are countywide on a given Saturday. That's a good question. I don't know how to answer that question either. If only we had a real estate agent that knew how to answer that question. <laughs> um, 
we were talking before the break about how uh, the market may be preserved going forward as those opportunities seem to run out with higher rates and all this kind of thing. Uh, there's some changes afoot in the credit industry. Um, I was reading yesterday, and, and this was this wasn't the first I heard about this, but this is the first that I'm. I finally was like, okay, I'll bite. I want to know like what's actually happening here. But basically, a lot of people are going to have higher credit scores soon. Oh. The the big bureaus you got TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. The three, the three bigs are going to stop collecting and reporting on some negative information. Like what? They're going to stop reporting on most tax liens, hmm. civil judgments. So these kinds of things where you get a if you get a collection for a garbage bill or you don't. I don't I rem, I don't remember if we talked about this an awful lot on the show. I know it impacted Wes and when he was on a lot we talked about it with him but um a few years back the county came up with an assessment for rural properties and it was it's like a $200 a year charge for like a a fire. Oh, I remember that. I remember that little yeah. fee. And it had something to do with if you were in a rural area of fire, you know, for that fire protection, you were being expected to pay this fee. Well, not everybody was happy about that, especially people that own these properties for a good long time. Or there was arguments made that they were in places where there was a fire extinguisher nearby or a fire department nearby. Um, and felt like it didn't apply to them quite the same way, and it felt really arbitrary. felt like just another kind of example of government taking of your money. Um, well, some of those people got that $200 um, bill sent to their house and tossed it out of you know spite and anger only to find out later that they got issued um collections and then judgment notices and because it was actually a tax they got tax lien filed against their credit those tax liens can be pretty damaging so it was um i haven't seen it in in a few months now but it was kind of common i'd run somebody's credit that was in a rural part and call them up and go "Ooh, your credit is not very good today so you have four open tax liens, and your tax liens are for, you know, the last four years with the county. And after a little bit of digging, we're able to determine that it was that tax lien was related to that bill they weren't paying. So those would be an example of a tax lien that wouldn't be uh, taken into consideration in your credit report anymore. So a lot of folks are excited that... Um, and by the way, it's estimated right now that uh, about 10% of the population would experience um, a lift of 8 to 10 points in credit score just based on the changing of these rules. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing, huh? Yeah. And a lot of it, I guess, has to do with regulation, really, is that... Um, The bigs, you know, TransUnion, Equifax, Experian, they're tasked with sort of 
aggregating all this information and putting it into a credit report. But what's happening right now is that there's been some some regulatory problems with that where there's not enough the data source that's reporting it doesn't have quite enough information to tie it to that person. Um, you got to have a complete list of at least three data points, which is a person's name and address. And then you either have to have their social security number or their date of birth. So prior to this change, if they just had your name and address, right? Like that's who the satellite TV company or the trash company or, you know, one of these government agencies, they may only have your name and address. So they attempt to attach a lien or a collection or something to your credit. Um, but so you could imagine, uh, I mean, how many, have you met many Dan Podestos? There's not many Podestos actually. Um, so no, I have not met another. There's Dan a couple Podesto. Jason Grody's out there. One of which is like a playwright. You've Googled yourself, right? I'd only find me. How about you, sir? Me? Yeah. I've many? only, uh, there's a, there's a few. Yeah. Uh, Jim Richards. Yeah. That's a yeah. little bit more common. Yeah. Name. There's actually a few in this business besides me too. Really? Yeah. What are the odds? I don't know. But yeah, there's imagine a... if you're like Jim Smith or, um, Jose Rodriguez. There, there's these names that have become very common and so if these guys are running around attaching negative credit reporting to you because your name's Jim Smith, that's a problem for you. You're just constantly fighting uh, to get this stuff removed from you. And credit terms, right? Like buy a car, finance a home, get a credit card those zero percent offers a lot of these things are based on your credit score so if your credit score is inaccurately reporting data that really belongs to somebody else because the bureaus didn't have the critical identifying information now the bureaus have some culpability in that so now what you have is that the bureaus are coming out and saying you know what unless we definitely have name, address, and then either the social or birth date, we're not going to collect and report that data. So they're not going to collect and report the questionable stuff, but the stuff they're absolutely certain about, they're going to continue to collect and report. That's right. And so the agencies okay. that are trying to get paid, because what? why do we put liens on things? Because put, when, you do a get major, paid. when you do a major transaction like real estate, that's yeah. where your financial skeletons come out of your closet and you have to yeah. pay the piper. Like you, you, you have no problem. Verizon makes you mad and you have a month left on the contract and you say, you know what, Verizon, I'm done with you. Go into AT&T and just leave them with that $60 bill and then they put it to collection. Um that it greatly increases your your chances of paying it. Now it's following you around and haunting you. So anyway, um, lenders like the credit analysts at the top are not very happy about this because it, these things definitely have the, some indication of your your credit worthiness. You know, if you've got various collections and judgments. But I think at the other side, one of the things it means is that if these companies are going to report you for negative credit, they're going to have to do a better job of collecting the information so that they have accurate information to report. 
And, you know, and then at the same time, too, it's like if you're a company that's placing a collection on one of your consumers, um, how come you didn't have their social security number or their date of birth? That makes me think you didn't make a good credit decision going in. <laughs> right. And if your business practice is such that you're not making a good credit decision and then you're having trouble collecting payment, perhaps you should have some trouble reporting and collecting after close, too. You know what I mean? It's like these best practices would be good for everybody if they were followed by everyone that's involving um, you know, services and repayment, credit reporting, and all these kinds of things. But I'll bet you, though, like those the tax liens, like those tax liens around here, there's probably some people that are pretty excited about that. The county tax assessor would likely have your Social Security number, though. I'm trying to think back. Is that on that preliminary change of ownership form? You know what I'm talking about? I do. I'll have to look and see if it's on there. Um, I do think escrow gets your... your uh, Social Security number, though, because they check out, uh, make sure that you don't have other, like, liens and judgments, like things like past due child support or, you know, other things like that that might show up. They use a database that runs with your Social Security number, too, so they harvest that in all of their transactions. I wonder if the assessor has it. I can only assume so based on the fact that it's, like, taxes. I feel like that's why we have Social Security numbers, just for taxes, isn't it? Does it track you down and make Probably you pay? Probably is a tracking system yeah, is what it is. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It's the first one of the first tracking systems. You may choose to yeah. drive or not. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. not a good number to That's right. But social security number, I mean you gotta get one. Then once and yeah. once you have that, there you go. Now they know how to, to track you and make you pay your taxes. Yeah. That's right. In related news, too, here, talking about this affordability and thing, there was a, um, a Fed report this week about the U.S. household net worth. Guess what? Is your net worth at an all-time high? Hmm. If it is, you might be American. Hmm. They track the total asset value minus the total liability. So make yourself a balance sheet, right? Add it all up, all of your assets, all of your liabilities. Um, the U.S. household net worth jumped to a record $92.8 trillion quarter four of 2016. You want to know what's driving it, too, just interestingly enough? We got all-time high household net worth, stock market strength, and higher home prices. Remember when home prices were in the dump and the stock market was in the dump and we kept seeing these things about all-time low household net worth? Now it's all-time all high. Now it's all-time high. You are rolling in it. Maybe this has something to do with why consumer confidence is at a 15-year high. Well, and it's all, I mean, I would imagine that most of that is just... Net fake paper net worth, I right? Mean, until, until you, you sell, sell it and realize it, sell the stock or sell whatever, you, it's just it could be your in your pocket if you if you sold it. But it's make you feel good about yourself. 
You got that. Yeah. You got that paper equity. Sure, why not? Walking with a little extra glide in your stride, <laughs> man. You're you're as rich as you've ever been. You got to cash in to be rich. But then, what are you gonna do? You gotta have a house. I mean, I, I guess yeah. you could you could cash in out of the stock market, but then you're you just go straight back over into to greenbacks in the bank, and then inflation's gonna get you there. So, what do you do? I'm, I, I mean, you, you got us both stumped over here, Jason. I think. I'm sorry. I was talking right one of my, <laughs> one of the borrowers that I just did a couple loans for. He's pretty sharp, dude. He's got a lot of money and he's, and he's basically self-made. He, uh, he has bought a lot, a piece of dirt. And the primary way that he did it was he borrowed against his 401k. This dude had other money said, how can you borrow it against your 401k? He said, you kidding me? Stock market's over 20000 for no good reason. And the 401k, if I borrow from that, it basically sidelines that asset until we go through this next little windfall. And after that all happens, then he goes, everyone else is going to experience their loss. And I'll use all these dollars I have to pay back my 401k loan when it's like back at 14000 and ride that thing back to the top again. And I go, huh, that's pretty confident. Yeah. <laughs> when is that time coming? <sighs> and the, the ironic thing, too, is that at what expense, too, because we saw, I mean, the stock market's up. What was the stat? It's up like 5% since the first of the year or something. So you missed going from twenty to 21,000. What if this little ride goes from twenty to 24 before it takes its drop back to 19 or something. I don't know. I mean, none of us know what it's going to do, but that's awfully confident. Get that money out of the market. I can't help but wonder how long this stock market does what it's doing for. I it's it seems pretty weird to me. And we'll see with the impending regulatory changes and everything that's supposed to go on. I guess we'll just see. So all this, the wait and sees now. It's all we got. Yeah. Silence is a great thing for radio. <laughs> well, we're at that awkward time. Yeah, you I know. I can't bring in another topic yet. Down a topic. Yeah. You want to start talking about something else, but we got mm-hmm. that. What is it? The we got a the three minute warning break. right now. We got the two minute break. It's not the Fox News break. It's not AP News. What are we? Uh, ABC? ABC News. ABC yeah. News. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thing just interrupts. Yeah, darn it, just comes right in. But you might want to mention where your offices are. Maybe we could do you that. Could kind of do that really. Quick. Do I want to talk about ABC real quick since <laughs> yeah. we just wrapped up the Bachelor. Okay. I know uh, you guys watched. Hmm. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about the Bachelor. I just know that you were watching ABC. Does your, um, does ABC have a problem for you where the mouth and the audio don't line up? No, no, it's just it's like any other channel, just works fine. Yeah, yeah. It's your, it's your, what do you have? Dish. I have Dish, yeah. and Dish. They must be doing this on purpose. They must be at a riff with ABC. You know oh, what I'm talking probably. about? Yeah, where probably. The mouth they moves. get into those topics. Yeah, they get into those fights. The mouth yeah. moves, and then you hear the word like a millisecond later, and so nothing lines up. That's what yeah. a, that's what every single program that airs on ABC does in my house. 
Really? And it's enough to make me want to not. I can't do that. I, I'm not okay with that. It's like having a crooked couch in the living room, you know? It's all, it's all, it's at an angle. I, I'm out. I got to fix that or I got to leave the room. <laughs> so that's the deal with Two my, minutes, with by the my way. ABC. <laughs> wow. All right, fine. You can talk about the office addresses then. That sounds way, <laughs> way more exciting. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Well, it's getting into home buying season, you know, so it's important to share people the information that pays the bills, and that's how to get a hold of us when you're interested in getting pre-qualified to buy, or if you have a loan that maybe has high interest or an adjustable rate feature, or maybe you have mortgage insurance and you want to look at a refi, look at lowering your payment. I got a new refi this week for a dude that has a $100,000 line of credit taken out and it's adjustable. And so he goes... And lines of credit just went up a quarter point this week. So Exactly. He he called because his rate (laughs) adjusted upward and he called me and said, hey, how many times do you think this thing's going to go up? Well, this year or how long? Well, and the problem is that your um, those adjustable rate lines of credit they have a max on them, kind of like your credit card, eighteen plus percent. Some of them are twenty four point nine nine. Yeah, so they can be very high. And yeah, every time it goes up, it goes up basically on the day for you if you've got one of those. So that's a that's another great reason uh, if you've got a line of credit. That's a great reason to look into it. Um, and there's some analysis that needs to be done because he's redoing a first that's at four and then a second, which is at six and growing. Mm-hmm. So when we, you know, kind of got to make sure that it's worth it, there could be other options in there. It's a little bit of math to do, but yeah, that's a great reason to, to give us a call for a refi. And you, loan. you can call us at 543 loan. You can stop by any of our four offices around the county. All right. We made it. We, we stretched those four minutes of awkwardness, Jim. Now we only got your, 10 seconds. Thanks for your help and your coaching. All right, right guys. Top of the hour break. And we'll be back with a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. As I was walking down the street last night, a pretty little girl came in the sight. I bowed and smiled and asked her name. She said, hold it, bud, I don't play that game. I reached in my pocket and to her big surprise, that was Lincoln staring her dead in the eye. Oh, greenback, greenback dollar bill, just a little piece of paper, cornbread, cornbread. She looked at me with that familiar desire, her eyes lit up like they were on fire. She said, my name's Flo and you're on the right track. Look here, Daddy, I wear furs on my back. So if you want to have fun in this man's land, let Lincoln and Jackson start shaking hands. <laughs> oh, greenback, greenback I, like, I like that. I must have used that Jackson term, huh? <laughs> you did. Yeah. Yeah, he is greenbacks. So there it is. There he is. Ray Charles, Mr. Cool there. What are you looking at over there in the uh, paper? Just checking out some listings in the... The newspaper here, the real estate section, seeing what's out there. I like to flip through this on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday. It's gotten a little skinnier 
as so much of the paper has. And you know what's disappointing? On Sunday, they used to have the real estate exchange, yeah, which it was terribly out of date. I think they reported things from like 12 months prior, which I don't even understand because you can get that data so easily. But um, they don't even do that anymore. I liked seeing all the transactions and the prices and stuff like that. Thought it was thought it was good info. Are you among the growing masses of the displeased clientele of the Tribune? Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm displeased with the I mean the sports section lacks the box scores, which I love. That's what I grew up on. The I mean, a lot of the news stories and stuff you already see online the day before. Um, I kind of look at the newspaper. It's like verified real news. There's no fake news in the newspaper. Mm. You know, they've had time to actually vet sources and do things. Whereas online, it's like a race to get the headline out there first and sensationalize it. I feel like the newspaper has a little more time to make sure that it's a real news story. But maybe that's just optimism and not reality. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure that time is being appropriately managed. I thought, I was thinking recently that that could be a way to differentiate newspaper and make it relevant. It's like, hey, you know, you can go online and get questionable news, but when you read it in the paper, we've got like certified, certified real news here. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) My wife likes to put on... um, the Today Show in the morning at the house. And it's funny, they do, they like catch up on the social media stuff, right? Like if a clip has gone viral. I'm not, I'm not uh, very up to date on all these things, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting older now. I don't have the time or interest in mm-hmm. a, a lot of that viral stuff. Yeah. yeah. But most of the time when I see it on the Today Show... I saw it three days ago. Yeah. So right. I know I'm at least a week behind the rest of the world mm-hmm. on the whatever the you know big clip is. Mm-hmm. But the Today Show sure is slow bringing that viral clip. The thing I don't like about the Today Show is they try to they rush through stuff so much on that show. You know, it's become you know less like okay if you're doing this cooking segment, do one thing. Right. Not five. Yeah, and they don't you have know, the time to finish anything know, ever when right, they do that you know, thing. Or like, you know, the product indoor you know, you know the manufacturers are paying for those products to be on there. Right. But um, you know, the product endorsement, instead of doing five or six of them, do like two. Well, yeah, and it's like a three hour show yeah, or something. Yeah. So it seems like they'd have time to like slow down right. and mm-hmm. it's almost like it stresses you out if you're starting yeah. your day with it mm-hmm. and it's like, Man, they're in a big hurry, they can't yeah. get everything done. Me too. I better start getting going. Wild. There was some data here uh, about U.S. housing starts. This is uh, new construction numbers, permits, and um, starts. February. February had a pretty good little bump in it. The construction of um, single-family houses came to a nine-and-a-half, well, almost a a nine-and-a-half-year high. Um which is good because the first quarter wasn't exactly uh, on point there. Um, housing starts increased 3%. So they seasonally adjust this number to kind of figure out based on 
Uh, you know, the... So we got February here. It was, it was a warm February on record. Um, housing starts increased 3%. So the rate now, if if February becomes the the measure of norm, puts us at a 1.29 million annual pace for new homes. Um, that's a, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Permits. So starts for oh, multifamily housing fell a little bit. That's not very surprising. Big projects can skew that number. Um, but uh, anyway, February lends its its hand to us being able to to build some new homes at pretty good paces, like we were talking a minute ago. So this one suggests that annually you could get yourself to a $1.3 million pace or million unit pace. That's better than what it's been. It still isn't even nearly scratched the tip of what existing home sales is looking like. Five and a half million a year. That's your highest likelihood of getting a house, especially around here. There's a you you were just showing me that there was a new a new uh project in there. Eleven units. There's actually a couple as I flip through. Yeah, there's a couple new home uh, developments, a little 11-unit project in Arroyo Grande um, that's listed in here. This one's Bella Serra, just minutes from the village of Arroyo Grande. That's the Coastal Community Builders Project, right? Yeah, there's a CCB. We've got Pasadera, which is starting in the mid-300,000s. Um, where are we here? I don't even know where this is. Paseo. I don't know where this is. Yeah, I'm not sure where that one. It must be a little bit off the beaten path. You're getting a single family home in the mid 300s. This one looks like maybe it's in. Oh, in Guadalupe. Okay, so this one's in Guadalupe. Um, and then there's an. Oh, I know where that's at. It's just south of Main. It's just south of 166. Yeah. And then I saw a third new home development being advertised here. This is Templeton Ranch, another coastal community builders project. Um, Templeton Ranch prices starting in the low four hundred thousands. Yeah, nice looking homes. Yeah, it's kind of a new. Uh, it, it's Guadalupe really hasn't gone past one sixty six, but this is kind of the first part of Guadalupe that's starting to go past one sixty six. After you, um, instead of turning right. If you're going from Santa Maria, we'd turn left. It's right there on the left. Hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff in there. It looks. I I feel like the the number of listings is definitely picked up here locally. Seeing a lot of new new inventory on the market. I saw two or three new signs on my street alone this week. One right on my block that the agent is not listed on the MLS yet, hanging on, looking for that double escrow or what is that double escrow just double uh dual agency yeah um here for the first week or so until they actually listed on the mls so i haven't seen what the price is but yeah there's a lot of a lot of new stuff popping up this is the time it's starting to heat up for the summer home buying season i'm always particularly interested in people that do dual agency stuff by the way and not not that that person Maybe they're not putting it on the MLS for 
some unknown reason that isn't just the desire to try to get both sides. Maybe. Um, but if I'm the seller of a home, I want my home exposed to everyone, the broadest audience possible. Yeah. Everywhere. If I listed my, uh, let me tell you this. If I called my real estate agent up today and said, Hey, I want to sell my house. And they called me back tomorrow morning and said, I was talking to a couple people and we've, you, you know, we've got a person here that is really wants to stab a stab at your house before it's out there on the general market and, and is willing to give you top dollar for it today. I'm saying no. If you're that motivated to buy my house, you're happy to compete with the rest of the people that want to compete with you. I want top dollar if I'm selling my home. I would never want, and I, I mean, I've talked with Wes about this before, and he said that there are people that recognize they may not get top dollar, but the time frame is the most important thing to them. I get that. Or they don't want open house and people traipsing through their home and nosy neighbors coming to look and all the, everything that goes along with having to be on the MLS. I get that, but you got to know what if you're costing yourself 40,000 bucks? Like, would you let me, you, your house isn't even for sale. Would you let me put a sign in the yard and walk people through it every Saturday for a month for 40 grand? Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you totally and there's would. Been, we've seen strategies just in the last couple of years to avoid those things. I mean, if you're so inclined, you can accept offers and not make it available for viewing until you've identified your top three offers or something. Sure. I mean, we've seen those things. Yeah. We've seen, I mean, just because you're looking for a fast sale by opening it up to the general public on the MLS doesn't mean, I mean, I would argue you could get a faster sale because more eyeballs are seeing it and more likelihood of someone jumping on it right away. Oh, I can't tell you so, how many times a couple, a, a person or a couple, somebody comes into my office and says, we're going to buy a new house. And we need to sell our home. And so we work on all these strategies of how you do it, right? With the contingent offer, the non-contingent offer. Sometimes we come up with a plan like this one that I'm doing right now where you need to sell your house and you need to buy a new home. These people made enough money to be able to qualify for the new home without selling theirs. So that gives us a little bit of liberty to say, all right, well, let's do this. Instead of write the house you're going to buy, instead of writing that contingent on selling your home, which makes you look less desirable to that seller, let's do it with a 5% down. They had the money. Let's do it with a 5% down and not contingent. And maybe you'll have both houses for a little while, but we'll go for a 45-day escrow on the one you're buying. And then if you can get your place in escrow for a 30 or 40-day escrow, you know, anywhere from five to 15 days in, we could line these things right up and you won't have two houses at the same time. What happens? The house they list comes on all cash sold for a 10 day close. Now they're like scrambling, looking to try to get a rent back so that they can, you know, line up how fast they sold their house with the time that they need to move. Um, I see that kind of thing happen a lot. So there's, there's different ways that the the market timing and all that thing kind might work out for you. Of course, there's no guarantee that always works out for you. I have another purchase this week where they wrote a contingent offer on selling their home, 
and they got their contingent offer accepted on a um, an agreement they had 21 days to have their property in escrow uh, or else the contract would fall apart and it died yesterday. They didn't sell their condo. Mm. Um, makes me think it was overpriced. But see, I mean, I didn't get into that part of that. They With their real estate agent, they set it up to sell it and it just didn't sell. So, um, you know, what are you going to do? But going back to that dual agency thing, A few years ago, we used to have loan officers that would do real estate and loans. Uh, I say we, I mean we, the industry. We never had anybody like that at our company. Um, mainly because you, how do you serve two masters, you know? So you end up in this spot where it's a, in, in finance for us, we really care about there being normal marketability and normal influence, normal um, motivation, just basically we want things to be usual and predictable, okay? If one person ends up with too much to gain, like let's say it's my listing, okay? I put up 123 Any Street for sale, it's my listing, and then I get a sign call from a buyer that says, I'd love to take a look at your place, and then they look at it and they say, man, this is a great house. We don't have a realtor yet. Frankly, we saw the sign and called just you. So what do we do? And you say, well, gosh, I'd love to help you. Now they're getting double commission and they got to say, I'm working with both of you guys, but I've been doing this a long time and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just be real fair and right up the middle. As a seller, are you, you know, are you getting everything out of your agent? Are they negotiating the very best terms for you? Based on, you know, they're making twice the commission now. And as soon as they hang up the phone with you, they're on the phone with the buyer, you know, going, whatever their strategy is, is trying to keep them at the table. So are they maximizing the value and negotiation for the buyer? Who are they maximizing the negotiation for? Chances are they're not maximizing anything but their own profit, I think, you know. You think I'm wrong about that? Am I too? <clears throat> you know, it's a delicate thing. It's it's uncomfortable to talk about, frankly, because we rely on real estate agents to, you know, refer business to our company. Sure. But at the same time, yeah, people are driven by incentives and oftentimes financial incentives. And the reality is when you're looking at let's let's say a $500,000 house and an agent standing to make 2.5%, which is what? Your 1250 12500 um, in commission on one end of the transaction. Well, if we get both ends, now we can make $25,000 on this On a $500,000 house? Sure. So here's the here's the here's where the financial incentive comes in. If, if you're and, – and I'll real-world example here. My wife's parents, they like to call the listing agent because they think there's opportunity to get a better deal – when buying a home, if they call the listing agent, because now this person's like, well, I really want to double end this to make more commission. And, you know, if these buyers, you know, want it for 490, well, that only lowers my commission by a few hundred bucks. And I'm getting both sides of it. Whereas, you know, if I can try to help them get 505 or 510 for this thing, but only get one end of it. 
you know, where's my incentive here? The incentive is to work with the side where you get both halves of the commission and, you know, you might even be inclined to not fight for as high of a price to make the deal go through. I don't know. Do you just get in a weird position and it's hard? And, you know, even if you're yeah, the but, most moral person in the world, you're sitting here, well, geez, or you got 25 Well, picture 000, this, or, though. Your real estate agent does, um, they do some investigation on your home, too. They're responsible for doing a, a visual um, inspection and disclosure statement, right, as they walk through the home and note things they know about it. Um, the seller also fills out seller property questionnaire. Um, there's all this basis of doing disclosures. So what if now you're that you're representing both people and the seller comes and says, Hey, I'm filling out my seller property questionnaire. And it asks me about whether there have been any water leaks. I don't want to freak out my buyer. You know, I don't want you knowing that there's this issue, but here's the deal. When they add it on, the um the what's now the new living room over there above the master suite they didn't do the roof perfectly and so then there's this spot where water tends to run in between the walls and at one point we had like a little bit of a mold problem but it was years ago and i fixed it myself so nobody knew about it I put in, you know, basically went up there and reflashed it and put down a ton of hendries. And we, you know, we, we masked the mold problem well. We even cut out some drywall. We really took care of it. And it's, it, it's rained hard since it's never gotten wet again. It's been seven years. So now you're the agent and you're hearing this and they're also representing the buyer. What do you do now? You go to the buyer and go... Okay, well, the seller believes they properly remedied this whole thing, and you know it it may or may not be an issue, and you should go look further into it. Um, I just it, it's like this whole acrimonious little thing where you're you might be blowing up your own transaction, like you said, where you're making double money because of a desire to to sort of disclose these things at the same time. You know, if that agent looks, stops and goes, oh, man, you know, my visa bill's gotten high. I haven't closed a house in four months. I think you're good. It sounds like you fixed the problem. Let's just not talk about that. You know what I mean? I, I worry that you're too invested in the transaction to offer really good, you know, perfectly ethical advice. And then there's these other things, too. Like, you know, I just bought and sold a home. One of the things I had go on 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 selling my home was I get this um, request for repairs, right? Well, let me back up a little bit. First of all, the emotional nature of selling your home and all these things, right? When they offered to buy my house, they basically included all this stuff. Oh, we want your kid's bed, and we want the basketball hoop, and we want the the spa and the jacuzzi, like all these different, they just name all this stuff and you go, whoa, this is an awfully one-sided offer. You want all of my things and you want a discount. So it kind of starts off like you don't know them. You're buffered by real estate agents. You kind of start going, well, maybe they're just asking for the moon to see what they could get. So you counter offer, right? Do all these things. You arrive on this number. Then a couple weeks later, I get the request for repairs and the request for repairs is like three pages long. 
install a drawer glide on this drawer. Um, you got a light bulb out on, you know, the ceiling fan of bedroom three, put a new light bulb in it, just nickel and dimey stuff. The garage door was kind of noisy. So have the tracks professionally serviced and that got, I'm, these are, this is legitimately real stuff for my request. They said that the, um, home inspector said that the rain gutters aren't sloped correctly. And so we would like you to have the rain gutters professionally cleaned and then re-sloped for maximum drainage. All these things, right? You're just looking at three pages worth of list and you get down to the end of it and you're like, these guys, you knew all of this stuff when you came to look at the house the first time the bulb was out, you know, and all these different things. And so now you're just after more money, right? And you think this is round two for negotiation. So then you get a little bit angry about it. So I call up my real estate agent and I'm like, I'm I'm mad. What are we doing here? We're two weeks in and these guys are really, you know, and I'm expecting the agent to just, yeah, let's fight them, you know, but say, hey, you need to calm down. Let's talk about these things. Let's go through it. Are there things you're willing to fix? And I start getting all this counsel and, okay, yeah, okay, no, I see that. I see this this way. And, you know, so then you together, you come up with a response and you start doing all these things, right? Um. That having that agent there that's just on your side and interested in helping you be reasonable and and walk it through and do all the right things, that's invaluable. And do you get that out of having the same agent represent two people? And at the same time, if I'm the buyer in that transaction and I want to list all of these repairs, I want I'm going I'm shooting for the moon, man. I want it all. I want my agent to go for it. Go represent me. I'm telling you, whether it's unreasonable or not, I want all of these things. So I want you to go get them for me. I mean, that's part of what you're getting out of your agent, right? But if that agent is representing the seller where the seller is going to go, you have no control over these people. Why are you allowing them to ask for everything and more? You know, I, that's why I just think there's so many situations where it needs to be different people. We had this come up years ago where this was where lenders started getting into fraud, where a loan officer is doing a transaction where they're making the real estate commission two or something. And now they hit the part of the loan where the buyer, this is the deal breaker. The buyer doesn't have, you know, sometimes it was, I'm going back to the early two thousands, but the buyer's short on money doesn't have the money to close it. So we had situations where we had loan officers that had bank accounts that they would go add their buyer onto. It wasn't even their money just to try to show money to keep these deals together because they could make so much commission. It was worth it for them to do outrageous things. And, you know, those are the transactions now where we, in lending, we call that a non-arms length transaction, you know, or somebody's representing too many people. Somebody's got unusual motivation. Those are things that are just freaky. I feel though, like there's probably agents that are listening that are totally comfortable doing both halves and have explanations for how they do it and stuff. I'd love to hear that. I mean, I, maybe it's not, doesn't sound like a perfectly safe environment now that I've just <laughs> bashed it for. Right. It's, I mean, it's something that definitely has to be handled with care. And 
I mean, because the agent puts themselves in a position where, I mean, there, there's liability if you're not disclosing things properly or you're not, you know, protecting your client, your client's best. Imagine interest, the same boxing clients. coach. Like you're both in your corners and the starting <laughs> bell is about to ring and you got one boxing coach going to come over and he's going to say, hey, this guy's got a wicked left hook. We worked on it for a long time. He's going to use it on you. So when he steps with his right foot, you need to get ready for it. It's coming. Then you run over the other corner and go, okay, I told this guy about your hook. And he's going to be watching for your right foot. So you're going to want to, you know, psych him out with the right foot, switch it to the left, and then you can, you can probably get him with it. And then you run back over the other side, you know, round two. Oh, you're doing good, man. He never even landed the hook. And you're back on the other side going, you got to get that hook in there. Sometimes these negotiations, I think, are like that. You got to have somebody just in your corner. Am I wrong? I know it's not a popular thing to talk about. Like you said, it's a really uncomfortable thing to talk about. I enjoy engaging in that discussion with real estate agents over a cold beer. Yeah, that's a great conversation (laughs) to have because you can get real. It's hard to do it in a public forum. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just shoot myself in the foot by bringing it up and going way through it. Uh, I'm all of a sudden I'm thinking there's somebody right now that's listening to the show that's like their agents doing a double ender and they're going, wait a minute, I'm getting screwed. And now they're going to call somebody. You know that that Jason guy from Mortgage Matters described exactly what you're doing now, and I'm going to sue you or something. That that would be terrible. But you know what my desire is though, truly. If somebody is out there going, gosh, I never thought about that, and I was probably going to do a dual agency, and you know what? I probably do want somebody just in my corner. I don't want the agent to be even possibly swayed by double commission, you know? Um, Well, at least, yeah, you're raising the awareness, and at the very least, if you're going to enter in that kind of relationship, ask the question, how are you going to navigate this? And then you can gauge by their response, you know, your feelings about it. Are, yeah. you, are you completely trusting in this situation? If so, go forward. It's great. If not, you know, get your own representation. But yeah. it's at least be aware that those there's potential for all these, you know, there's a lot of push and pull with financial incentives and well, what if, things. It's, what if I got you, like you're the dual agent, and I got you to just do for half commission? That's a... You were going to make 25000 and instead of, like, you're, you know, $500,000 house, you're going to make $25,000 commission for if you do both of us, so the seller is going to net four seventy five. So what if I go in there and I go, hey, I want this house for four eighty five, and that's because you're going to reduce your commission by ten grand to the seller to get me the sweetheart deal. Is that better? Yeah, you're you're getting back into my my in-laws and what they like to do. They like to try to call the listing agent, you know, instead of getting 5%, how about you take 4%? Let's get this price down a little bit, not sure. not reduce what the seller can make, you know? Shoot. That's yeah. certainly a possibility. And if you have a lot of experience in, you know, the repairs and anything that's going to pop up along the way and you're mostly going to have your own opinion anyway, then maybe Maybe you do it. I don't know. All right, let's do a commercial break now. Take some time out to thank the sponsors, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute with more Mortgage Matters. 
To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. here at Mortgage Matters. Just got done with some uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I do like to do that. I don't know why. I think it's a I think it's an interesting conversation. I think it's a valid thing to talk about. I like talk to talk about. about the things that nobody likes to talk well, about. And it, it's a perfect perfect place to do it is right here. I mean, we we don't always have you know, there are things that are uncomfortable to talk about. We need to talk about them just to make sure that everybody's aware that these potential conflicts exist. And, and it's part of what this show's about. It's about being um, transparent and being open about the real estate transaction and the whole experience of getting a loan and, and all that stuff. And, you know, we try to just be forthcoming about all these issues. And every now and then we'll, we'll 
You're going to touch into something that makes you a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Even makes your hosts uncomfortable. And and that one does, but it's something that, you know, we got to touch on every now and then. Well, and like you said, I hate to think that there's a real estate agent that that is listening and going, well, I can't refer to those guys if they're going to be out there openly talking about that. And for me... I I wouldn't want to work with the person that doesn't want to talk about it because that we're describing what the situation's Fortunately, there's enough... There's enough people out there. And and by the way, I want to go on to say that I really do think that most real estate agents are honest and ethical people. I really do. Um, You know, that being said, I I know that there just it's a law of numbers that some of them are that you're going to have a bad apple every now and again. And so um, I really think that, like you said, if you find yourself in a position where you're working into a dual agency, either as a buyer or a seller, I would at least want to have a conversation about that. Hey, I hear there's potential problems. What do you think? And then just, now you're having a dialogue about it. And, you know, if nothing else, if you got yourself, like if I was a dual agent too and got myself into a position where something pops up and then it becomes clear to me that I'm incapable of counseling both sides, then, then maybe there's a way to recuse yourself to, to hand over, you know, unless you're the overall broker of the company, you're the head dude in charge. Um, Cause maybe you need to recuse yourself of one half and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to debrief you and my broker or you and this other agent in my office with the help of my broker, whatever. And, we're we're to a position right now where this issue having arised puts us at a place where we need to to separate out this communication and make sure that we're handling it appropriately. Um, one person isn't appropriate to tackle this issue between two parties. Uh, if that kind of stuff was in play, if you knew that when you ventured into the place where it's it's too tricky to be able to be neutral anymore or to be the advocate you need to be for the one half because um, you were the listing agent first, right? The, you, you got them to agree to list with you. You guys find a buyer that you thought was, you know, a, a good enough situation to work forward on. Now an issue's popped up and you got to go, hey, buyer, you can, you know... As much as I hate it, because I'm going to lose a bunch of that other half of that commission, um, but it's time for us to bring in just an advocate for you because this is too murky now. Well, yeah, like you said, have that dialogue. Understand that there are potential pitfalls. That's what the purpose of the show is here. Is just, I mean, when we first started, our idea was um, this was back during the crash, where plenty of people had no idea what was going on. Um, the there industry were, was run amok. There were still option arm loans. Yeah, it was just crazy. Risky mortgages and people didn't understand them. Well, loan officers didn't understand them. I can't tell you how many times I was underwriting back during the run up, and I can't tell you how many times these loan officers were submitting loans that I knew they didn't they didn't understand. How did you possibly counsel your client appropriately when you don't even know? On this payment option arm where the recast hits and when it happens and how it impacts the payment or what the implications are of that prepayment penalty. So when we first started the show, our real thought was, you know, well, first of all, let's be transparent. We want business. That's why we're on the show. I'm asking you for your business. When you're ready to do a loan, I'm asking you 
to let me throw my hat in the ring. I want to compete and earn your business. That's, that's why we do what we do. That being said, how do I differentiate myself from everybody else in this business that wants you as a client? Well, here's how I'm out every, every single day that you run into me, I'm out hoping that we are dealing with everybody just a little bit more savvy. Let's, you need to know about these things. You need to know about your challenges, your pitfalls, your strengths. Um, you need to know about loan programs that are going to maximize your purchasing power, minimize your interest costs, all these different things. If you're really savvy and, and we can take a little bit of the credit for that, if we're part of how you got to be such a qualified buyer and consumer and that you're not going to get railroaded in some transaction by anybody because you know You've been you basically been studying this stuff. You've been listening to the show with us for eight years. You know way more now than you knew before you hung out and listened to the real estate and finance show. Um, that's our goal. We want to make money, but we also think that our whole community. You know, let's just take a little slow county here. This community is a better place if all of us are smarter and less likely to be in a bad deal, taking advantage of, or making a poor decision. Right. We're all better off for that. Who wants their neighbor to sell a house to some schmo that goes on, gets, you know, gets behind on the mortgage and has a foreclosure right next door two weeks later? Nobody wants that. No. I mean, maybe you want that if you're the home owner next door that's got just incredibly deep pockets and you're going to try to buy it up at a value and, and be the landlord. That's not the norm. Most of us would rather have that that neighbor be stable and performing and never cause that sort of, you know, problem in the in the neighborhood and the community. We're looking at that countywide right now. We want educated consumers that know what's out there and how to to really just maximize their interaction in all of these things. It'll just make the whole area a better place. That's that's the basis. So that's why we gotta talk about these things that are not that fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, so inflation, we talked a little bit about this earlier. I did clip this and I just wanted to mention it. I know there are some people that listen to the show that are kind of the true data heads and they're, they're wanting to, to get their little fix. Their um, consumer price index came out again this week. A um, couple of the highlights here. Um, I mean, number one, you you got a year over year inflation right now that's come in as expected at two point seven percent. That's a, that's a strong number. That's a good number. Um, interestingly enough, I know we we mentioned this last week on the show because I'm I'm starting to wrap my head around this idea too. Is that um, energy costs and and mainly for us it's easily. We just look right at the cost of oil. Have you noticed that the price of the pump has gone down recently? I noticed it's been stable. It's in that high $2 range. It should be coming down. The price of oil has fallen a little bit. And Hmm. this is an interesting thing because... Like you said, it's been stable. It's the there's also been kind of a predictable pace of it, though, is that it's been stable to increasing and and kind of acting a little bit more normal, like you would want out of a commodity. 
Um, and that then kind of lends its way to normalcy and other things like producer production numbers. Because if you, if those costs are known and you can budget for them and and actually pass those costs through in the way that you're intending to as a business owner um, or a producer producing a good for a price, you can you can have dependable profit margins. Um, but yeah, now we see that that monthly pace for energy falls for the first time since July. So how's that? You finally got some strong year over year inflation on that consumer price index side. And now the cost of energy declines, which would then undermine that inflation because in theory, it should then drop the cost to produce. Um, there's enough competition now. It's not like, oh, it got a little cheaper to produce, so now the producers are going to make more money. Our environment is so competitive today. Like, you can go buy your laundry detergent on Amazon and have it delivered to you tomorrow. And it might be cheaper than the Vons where you were going to buy it today, right? Mm-hmm. So most of the time, I think when when the cost to produce goes up or down, the consumer gets it almost real time, Right. And by the way, this is why they attempt to take energy numbers out of that core price. So take out food and energy, and now you get an idea of things that aren't dependent on that. What are their prices doing? Um, They're pretty strong, too. 2.2% was the year-over-year on the core number. Yeah. And 2%, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was like what the feds were talking about, right? Yeah, they're, I mean, the target range of inflation is 2 to 3%. And for the longest time, the the rates of inflation were in the 1%, 1.5%. And here we are, we've, we've eclipsed the 2% mark, and now we're right in the middle, you know, 2.2 to 2.7 for the core and, and non-core or whatever, the full core, whatever, the big number. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The big number. <laughs> <laughs> We're right in the middle of the range where we want to be. Right. Yeah. And, you know, getting the the headline writers here, they always want to sensationalize this stuff and tie you back somewhere. But so what they latched onto is that this is the biggest um, year over year inflation measurement since March of 2012. Um, so that give you an idea is that you're kind of heading in the right way. Um, and then at the same time with Fed's pushing rates up this week, you got to imagine that that's going to have a similar effect, right? It was like we were talking about the beginning of the show. If any of these guys, and I think really um, you can make a good example out of a company that is manufacturing or producing a good that's got to be transported and sold. You know, you're going to look at um, it's got to be, you got to buy some materials, you got to pay for some labor and some assembly, you got to then transfer and sell this thing. Um, those, those costs are likely to go up with a Fed rate hike. I mean, maybe not immediately or right away. Um, but yeah, at the same time, if, if the price, the energy price is dropping, then those two almost wash each other and now you're, you're undermining your inflation. So that'll be something to keep an eye on um, going forward. But those, the other thing too, is that the, the inflation numbers were really right as expected. And I think that's another critical thing too, is that um, it almost makes you think that this economy is being relatively predictable right now. It's doing what we're hoping that it does. And um, true in the jobs market as well. 
Um, of course, the lagger there being hourly earnings, but I mean, gosh, it's feeling it's feeling like we perhaps are laboring this point a little bit, but we keep for the last two years now we've been saying it's like, well, <laughs> once. Once the unemployment number's down and the people are back to work, you're going to have to pay these people more to keep them or pay them more to recruit them. So that's where we'll see meaningful wage growth. We still aren't seeing that. And maybe you can't afford to pay people more now once you have inflation. Ah. Costs more to produce. We can't also raise the price of of the labor, right? Someone's going to have to pay for it. I'll pay for it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, fuel is a 3% drop since July. So that should be, I mean, basically 10 cents a gallon for you, right? About that. I read something before, too, that California is about to get a 38% increase on the gas tax. Did you ever see that? For... What road repairs and stuff? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now, but I, it had something to do with. Um, oh, maybe it's just proposed. Mm. Says that they're basically the draft for the 2017-2018 budget. Um, that there's a budget shortfall. Um, there's a. $122.8 billion general fund budget deficit. Um, so we spent the last few years, I mean, the budget for California was actually something that many people were bragging about, that Jerry Brown had moved some stuff into some better places and, and brought things kind of back to normal. Um, but there have been, now we're facing budget deficits and, one of the proposals here is to increase the gas tax. Hmm. A 42% increase in the gasoline tax, as well as a 141% increase in vehicle registration fees. <sighs> vehicle registration already feels really high to me. Does it to you? I mean, it depends on the car you're driving, yeah. right? If you have a really expensive car, it's more. And yeah. My truck qualifies for a heavy truck, so I get a like I pay double already. Hmm. Our trucks are probably worth the same amount of money ish. My truck costs me almost six hundred dollars a year to register because they call it heavy. Oh boy. I mean what yours is probably two fifty, two eighty. Yeah, even that seems high to me. Something like that. Yeah, sure. It's ridiculously high. It's one of the things that's like so now I'm thinking if it goes up 140%, am I, are they really going to ask me to pay seven or $800 a year to register my 2002 truck? You're paying 600 bucks now? Yeah. 140% is more than that. I'm just saying, I know, and I don't An know. extra seven or $800, you mean? Yeah. Or, so you're going to be paying like 1500 bucks a year to register your truck? Does that sound insane to you that too? That kind of sounds like a lot. Sounds like. And really what, insane. And actually. what if yours goes up to six hundred bucks a year? That's a lot. And you're gonna pay more thirty forty two percent more in, in gas tax. We were talking about this in the office the other day. This is the kind of geeks that were around um during the week, but um we so we started looking it up. Well, is California already the number one 
we have expensive gas here. We have yeah. some of the highest taxes, and um, we we are currently second, I think, I'll in the see nation. If I, Two if or I, three out of the top like, three, California's in the mix. I think Hawaii might be higher, but that's because Hawaii it's has Hawaii. cheap gas. Really? Oh okay. yeah, which is mind blowing to me. This is a set of islands that are like three thousand miles offshore. Um, that's got to be more. There's no, I mean, are there refineries on Hawaii? I don't think so. So this stuff's all coming in by tank. It seems to me that should be way more expensive than here. There are refineries here, pipelines and stuff, right? Everywhere. Why is it so expensive? Well, one of the reasons is because we look at it to, to make up budget deficits is why. Yeah. So if these hikes go through, um, Basically, what you're looking at is California will be number one by far. So you'll be able to brag to all your friends that you are number one with the nation's highest gas taxes. A lot of the California problems, by the way, are the are the CalPERS numbers. Um, there isn't enough time in the show to get way down into the weeds in this, but um, uh, according to this, Hawaii is the highest, but two sixty three. But the, I don't know exactly when this was put out either. Um, can't be that long ago. It's, it's showing ours as average is two forty seven. Well, but look at specifically the tax per gallon is what's up. Yeah, that that is the the real driver. Texas is like having gas wars right now. By the way. Anyway, just kind of looking around the nation it the cal like if you want to if you want to see some of the reason why california is having trouble the way they are is the the pension fund calpers that's a it's a challenge and that's pretty much what the gas tax and registration tax are are going to be levied basically to try to make up the deficit in what is the calpers we got this unfunded pension liability um there's a ton of debt. I mean, it makes up something like $90,000 per household in California of what we owe for CalPERS. And there's these catch-up metrics that are happening where we have to keep making these payments. And they're, you know, when you go in there and look at what it costs to carry all this, it's just, it's super expensive. And, um, it, you know, it's going to just, basically, it's going to make California even more expensive to live in, so looks like, just in case anybody's interested, Oklahoma, the lowest price. That's the lowest gas yeah. price or the lowest tax on gas? Well, the gas price. So I don't know about the tax. Well, so, so tax is a percentage of gallon, right? Yeah. So if the gas is in Oklahoma significantly cheaper, then they their percentage is ultimately a driver. So you got to showing it at $1.39. That's cheap. It's almost worth it to go to Oklahoma to fill to up. Gas. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that Seinfeld where they were um, trying to recruit? They were trying to recycle in like Michigan yeah. where they could get the the higher fee. Funny, funny. Hey guys, uh, thanks a lot for being with us today. Um, we we discussed this a little bit earlier, but if you guys are are looking at. Um, you know, wanting to get a consult. If you got an FHA loan, 
if you got mortgage insurance of any kind, if you've got a second a mortgage on your home that maybe you got a second for solar or you got a second um, to put in a pool or do maintenance or an add-on or whatever, the price on those seconds, your interest costs just went up this week. And so it might be worth it um, to, to get an evaluation and see if, you know, there's some program that you could be in that will protect you from those increases going forward. Um, give us a call, 543-LOAN. That number uh, rings all of our offices around the county. We'd be happy to hear from you. Or you can start by visiting us on the web. Dan is not going to be here next week, so we're wishing you a happy birthday. Thank you. And enjoy your week off. Happy birthday, Dan. Thank and, you. And uh, we will, we, but we will, we'll be back next week with a whole nother new fresh episode of Mortgage Matters. Have a great week, guys. Stay safe.